On today's episode of the CMO Series podcast, we're going to be discussing the topic of integrating a culture of BD in a super regional firm. We're absolutely delighted to welcome Andrew Laver, Chief Marketing and Business Development Officer at Porzio, Bromberg and Newman, and Treasurer to the LMA Board in 2023. He's going to share his insights on integrating BD function into an existing marketing team. He's only a few months into this role, um, but we'll delve into the challenges and opportunities of building an effective marketing and business development team, covering everything from recruitment to shaping culture, sharing the lessons from Amlaw 100 and Amlaw 200 firms that he's now bringing into his role within Porzio, Bromberg and Newman. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Ed. Now, we've spoken a number of times uh, at different events and on the phone recently, and I know you said... Uh, I think when we spoke last week, you are three months into your role at Porzio. So congratulations on the new position, but also three months in. What's the main difference between your uh, previous firms and where you are now? Uh, there's there's obviously several. And I don't know if I want to admit this on a public podcast, but I remember, I think it was maybe my second day that I was here. Uh, I was still doing like telephone training and signing up for benefits and such. And the team runs into my office and they say, hey, is this tweet okay to post? And I was like, why are you asking me this? And like, well, you're the guy, like, you need to approve this. And I was like, oh yeah, sure, it's fine. And then I sat back and I was like, what would they have done if I wasn't here? What did they do before I got here? You know, all these kind of questions started going through my head. And I think the biggest change in my mindset at the time was I had to realize that I had transitioned from the person who had the problem, picked us and found a solution, recommended a solution or, or came up all the other ideas to becoming the final arbiter. Because I was never the final arbiter before of, are we are we going to pursue this opportunity? Are we going to sponsor this event? Are we going to push tweet on this tweet? And that change took maybe a day to kick in. And it's it's been, you know, gangbusters ever since then. I think that was the biggest difference at that point. As far as for me personally, obviously overall, Porzio uh, having 100 or so attorneys is much smaller than any other firm I was at. You know, my last firm, Buchanan had over 400. Before that was McCarter, similar at 400. Before that was Dwayne Morris, which at the time was about a 800 maybe, and they're exponentially larger and international now. So this is the smallest by scale that I've been at, but all the problems and all the issues and all the opportunities at law firms are the same. Again, it's, it's just based upon scale and the resources you have to implement that change. I think it must be um, a bit of a a bit of a change as well. Right? You said somebody came up to him and was like, "You're the guy." And how does that make you feel that now you are the guy, the person that puts that stamp and says, "This is good." Yeah, I mean it's pretty cool, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it's something that I've been working towards for a while, and it's funny as well because I sit here and I say there are obviously reasons why I understand that I now understand why people would never want this job. And there are people who I've I've spoken to, worked with, whatever, networked with, who have said, oh, my God, I would never want to be in this sweet suite or be the, the person in charge of a department and, and all those kind of things. And I would always say, why, why would you feel that way? Why would you not want to have the responsibility of creating a team like I'm able to do here or implementing change or bringing a new culture, whatever it may be? And I don't think they ever really had the answer, but I think in the back of the head, they probably knew. And now I'm seeing what it is because it's a struggle and it's it's a lot. And uh, people I've spoken to over the past few months, like, hey, how's the new job? It's great. It's a lot. And it's still, even all this time later, still drinking from a fire hose to a degree. I don't know if that ever changes. I'll, I'll let you know in maybe three more months. Yeah. We'll touch base again, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, 
So now in the new role and at a new uh, at a new firm, what are the current key challenges that you're facing now that you're in this position? The the good thing for me is that leadership on down here at Porzio has been so excited for me to join. They were excited for anybody to join. When Amanda, my predecessor, left, she was in a great spot with the, the team and the firm and all those kind of things. And they had a lot of momentum going. But once she left, there was obviously a void. And I think right around the time she left, several other members of the team had pursued other opportunities. So there was really just two people left behind at the time when I started. And I was tasked right away, and this was told to me during the interview process, was you're going to build a team which was exciting, but also scary because I could now build a team in the vision of people that I wanted to work with and, and collaborate with and build something new with. And the struggle so far has been finding the talent, which has been really surprising to me. I didn't think there would be such a struggle to find the talent, whether it's because of where we're physically based and the firm wanting people to be in this office or an office with frequency or People just weren't looking for jobs during the summer. I don't really know, but I think that's probably been my biggest struggle because there's no struggle on the firm side. They're stoked that I'm here. They love the ideas that I have, but now it's just like building a team to implement those ideas. And to have that support, again, top down is amazing because I have been at firms where that support necessarily has not been there, especially from the start. And it makes it a bit more of a struggle. So if you can't, you know, rely upon firm leadership to say, here's how we're going to do it. This is what it's going to be. Here's how we're going to spend the money, for example. And in comparison here, it's whatever you need, whatever resources you need, we are devoted to making this work. And that's great for me. So really it's just, you know, building the team and I'm almost all the way there. We're getting really close. So what now the summer's over and we're transitioning into, you know, almost end of year things and budgeting and such. I'm hoping that maybe a few more candidates come out of the woodwork, especially hopefully before this podcast is being listened to. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you because I know it's a, a bit of a challenge at the moment. And uh, there's another podcast I did. And I think I mentioned it to you before, uh, Justin Portaz at, at Genoa and Block, who it's all about trusting in his team and the, how he built his team. And I, I think you're now at the beginning of where he's at the end of that cycle. You're at the beginning of that. So it's probably quite a good, um, two, two good podcasts to, to listen to both perspectives from. Absolutely. Maybe I'll listen to it when I'm driving. That's a good idea. There you go. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Now, really sort of getting into the, the, the headline of the topic here, uh, why do you feel integrating a business development facet of the marketing team is so important to the firm's growth? So Porzio has always had a marketing mentality. My predecessor, Amanda Lesh, was a true CMO from what I understand. So the M being marketing, chief marketing officer. And when I was interviewing, a lot of the questions that they were asking me about, based upon my experience at Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney and prior firms, was really more on the business development side of my experience. I'll say something controversial that a lot of people may not agree with, but I feel like if you're doing business development currently in a law firm, you have already or you can air quote, easily do the marketing stuff. It's going to upset a lot of people, I'm sure. But I kind of feel like there's so much overlap between BD and marketing. The BD side is more sales and the marketing a lot of times is hard to associate ROI to. So it's harder to draw a direct correlation to an effort you're making to an actual financial result. Whereas with BD, you can say, for example, I responded to an RFP, I was awarded the work, Here's how much money we got from this opportunity. So therefore, the ROI on pursuing this opportunity through an RFP turned into X number of dollars. 
And those were things that were not really in place here or hadn't been in a place for a long time at Porzio based upon changes to the team or the mentality. So when we were talking about BD and what I could bring to this team, the attorneys were really excited by taking the RFP responsibility off their plate and handing it to my team or having to really hunt for themselves for some new opportunities, whereas a BD-focused team could certainly help with that type of work. So for example, when I was at Buchanan and what we're going to start doing here once the full team is built out is you know, recognizing who the client base is, but also who our current clients are, our top clients, and finding new ways to cross-sell them and uh, institutionalize them and find additional ways to service them. Every firm says we'd love to be a one-stop shop for all of your legal needs. And there are certainly clients that will give you that opportunity, but there are plenty more who would rather diversify all of their work, whether it's based upon regionalization or financial reasons, or honestly, to conflict you out from suing them in the future and representing someone else that may be uh, adverse to them. So bringing this BD perspective to Porzio was really excited to Porzio because they really hadn't gone very deep into that recently. And the chairman, Vito Gagliardi, jokes still to this day, months later, that one of my biggest demands when I came in the door, uh, he says it with a smirk on his face, was that the title not be CMO, but that it be CMBDO. Because I wanted the firm, both internally and, and those externally who were meeting me, to recognize that this was now going to be the culture at this firm. And if you don't put business development in my title, then you're not keeping me accountable for what I've said I'm going to do for you. And you're not keeping yourself accountable for the things that you say you want to do. So by making myself or naming myself the chief marketing and business development officer, it ensures we're all on the same page that BD is going to be at the forefront of everything we do to ensure that we are able to track that ROI and determine what's good work to chase and what is a good one to maybe pass on because there's no BD return on it. I feel like I've already just bought into your... Uh your reasoning and I'm not surprised that they, not, not surprised that they hired you with that argument of why why integrating BD is uh, is, is so important you give a good argument to say yes <laughs> <laughs> what do you think are the the biggest opportunities of Porzio being a super regional firm from a BD perspective are there are there some like real obvious opportunities that you've spotted already I think so um with a larger firm more geographically diverse firm your client bases are going to be everywhere and the desires of each individual office will fluctuate based upon where you are. So I think the easiest example would be two firms ago when I was at McCarter and English, which is a, a New Jersey firm based upon headquarters, but pretty, pretty up and down the, the East coast, at least at the time. <clears throat> and, um, I was hired in a dual role, really. So although I was a business development manager for specific practice groups, I also was doing geographic marketing for the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware offices. Now, a lot of us know, and a lot of the listeners know that geographic marketing has kind of gone by the wayside as far as legal marketing goes, and everything is now practice group specific and centric or industry centric. And the problem that Carter had at the time was they had these two regional offices that were south of the headquarters in Newark, New Jersey. And the offices, in essence, have become squeaky wheels. They wanted marketing support. They wanted to know how they can grow and be recognized and brand themselves locally. So they brought me in, being a Philly guy, and Wilmington's not that far away from us in Philadelphia, to kind of know the neighborhood and, and the, the pulse of the cities that we were working in and figure out ways to geographically raise our profile. Because really, at the time, McCarter was known as a Jersey firm. 
but it was a North Jersey firm. It's not like we're talking, you know, down in South Jersey where I live per se. It was, it was a North Jersey firm. And a lot of the Philadelphia area clients, for example, that McCarter was servicing, that work was originating in Newark, New Jersey. It wasn't even originating from the Philadelphia office. So what I did in my years there was I helped kind of change the perspective of, oh, well, sure, we have, you know, a, a lion's share of our attorneys are in North Jersey, but did you know we have Philly office? And a lot of times once the clients, at least in Philly and Wilmington, met the local people on the ground, they were more apt to send work locally and try to find new opportunities and ways to work with the people who were on the ground with them locally compared to Newark. So it was still keeping it in-house, but it was additional cross-selling opportunity. We did a lot more in-person events down here in what I call the Southern tier of MacArthur. So anything South of Newark, New Jersey, because we were able to meet them on the ground and where they were. And that happens everywhere, but it's also a struggle sometimes. So shifting over to Porzio, I think we have that same opportunity here where we are almost literally a New Jersey firm. We have, like I said, approximately a hundred attorneys, I don't know, it's 85 of which are here in the headquarter office in Marstown, New Jersey. We have we have a handful in Trenton. Our our government affairs team is based in Trenton. We have a couple attorneys in Wilmington, Delaware. We have a couple attorneys up in Massachusetts. But the bulk of our team and New York City as well, but the bulk of our team is right here in Marstown. And it's such a great opportunity for us to be known as a Jersey firm but in a good way. Because being known as a Jersey firm could also be a derogatory statement, depending <laughs> on who you ask. And what you know about New Jersey. Um, just watch The Sopranos or listen to Bruce Springsteen because that's a stereotype. Um, but I think we have so many opportunities. Porzio is really known as a go-to firm in New Jersey for a lot of regional school districts and K-12 type districts, as well as those that would serve special needs students and such. And it's such a rich opportunity because while there's plenty of other firms that do that kind of work here in New Jersey, a lot of them don't even try to compete with us for that work. They may go for the higher ed work, Plenty of schools and colleges and Seton Hall, Rutgers, uh, Monmouth University, all throughout the state of New Jersey that that higher ed work could go to. But when we're talking specifically regional school districts and such, the K-12s and, and all of those, Porzio is almost a force to not be reckoned with because we have done such a great job of branding ourselves here in New Jersey. And if we ever were to expand uh, geographically, let's say hypothetically we moved into Pennsylvania or further south into Delaware, wherever it may be, we can work off of that name brand of that we've created for ourselves here at a super regional in New Jersey and take it into other states. I think you said 85 uh, of the, the attorneys are based in the head office. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. So th the other offices that you've got, are are they mostly all reporting into the head office or do they kind of operate on their own functions? I guess it really depends on on how you consider reporting into because because they all have their own client base. We all work pretty closely together, and because most of the offices are so close to each other, so again, so I live in South Jersey, which is a ninety minute drive for me. I could if I left from my house, I could be in Wilmington, Delaware, in less than an hour. So we're talking two to three hours at the most, either by car or train, because they're all extremely accessible that way. The furthest one away, honestly, is Puerto Rico because you can't take a train to Puerto Rico. And one of the reasons we expanded into Puerto Rico several years ago was because of uh, opportunities with the life sciences and pharmaceutical industries. And we have, I believe it's two attorneys down there, but we do one or two really large events in Puerto Rico each year. So I guess Puerto Rico, maybe to use your term, reports into Marstown, mm -hmm. but the rest of us, we all just work together. And it's just, it's just more seen as, especially now post COVID with everyone being so remote, um, just additional offices where we can be together, but there's always visitors here in Marstown coming from the other offices. And, and I still make my, my rounds to 
you know, New York and, and Wilmington as well. Mm-hmm. Not, not yet to Puerto Rico? Not until February. So that's when we have that large pharmaceutical event in February. So I'll be I'll be down there in February. And I'll get I'll go to a beach. Go figure. Me at a beach. Who knew? <laughs> I would never have guessed. <laughs> no, no. Are you able to uh, tell us of any key BD initiatives or approaches uh, from your previous firms that you're looking to now implement at Pausio? Or is that yeah, so one, No, well, I, you know, you're talking amongst friends here, so I can share. <laughs> but I think that so the, the S word sales is not a word that we generally use in legal marketing or business development because no one wants to see themselves as a salesperson. Sorry to you and your colleagues. But I mean, honestly, once you're in-house, you're kind of thinking you're not really selling yourself or your services, but really the attorneys are. We just can't tell them that that's what they're doing because they have a specific skill set and experience and their own network that will help any client in need solve the issue they have. The truth of the matter is you're calling an attorney because you have a problem. And as bad of a rap as attorneys may get on television and movies, it's a very specific industry that gives a very specific need and solution to a very specific problem you may be having. So what we like to do on the BD side is help our attorneys issue spot for their clients. And that's a sales type tactic. So one of the things we did at Buchanan, which we're going to start doing here once the team's fully built out, is talk about the sales funnel and how you go from the bottom of the the pyramid or the top of the funnel, however you want to look at it. And it's the softest touch. Hey, I know a guy, I know a girl. We talked on LinkedIn. I met him at a conference till you eventually get to the point where you talk about what it is that you do and how you can solve a problem they may have or ask them what keeps you up at night. That's a term we use a lot in legal marketing is, you know, talk to a GC, what keeps them up at night? What issues are they facing? But it's also being familiar enough with their industry or their specific work so that even if it's work that you can't do, you've got a colleague down the hall or another office that can do that work for them and you can offer a solution. A lot of times, in my experience, attorneys, this might be shocking to some, hate talking about themselves (laughs) in the sense where they don't want to talk about themselves in here's what I can do for you, especially if it's for a friend, a neighbor, someone they made at the kid's soccer field, something like that. But if they know that someone has a problem, they may say, my colleague is amazing at fill in the blank issue that they're mm-hmm. having, or they, they've argued in front of, they've you know, had patents processed by, whatever it may be. And can I introduce you to my colleague? You know, maybe they can talk you through this issue and maybe they know somebody who could help you get this visa approved, this patent passed through, whatever the situation may be. Unless obviously, of course, you're known as the the person, the guy, the girl that handles a specific niche of legal opportunities and you can literally be that person for them. A lot of attorneys find it much easier to talk about their colleague or their friend in another office and the services they can offer um, compared to themselves. So if we position our attorneys to, to make the sale, to make the ask, which is the hardest for them to do, uh, and and really prepare them with as much information as we can about the firm and the capabilities and, and why we can help this client or this prospect with this problem and issue spot for them and connect those dots to, hey, your colleague down the hall or on the other floor can do this work for them, it's easier for them to make the ask. So if we implement a sales type funnel here, and just the, all the ideas that go into sales and all the things that you and your colleagues at Passel have perfected over the years of, of how to make a sale and, and how to you know, get that relationship going, because that's a big part of it too. That's what we're going to start to do here to whatever degree we haven't and build upon that at Porzio. 
which perfectly leads me into, uh, I just made a, a quick note on a question about what you're hoping to achieve over the next six, 12, 18 months. I know you mentioned building out the team and that's obviously paramount, but do you have other milestones that you're looking to achieve over that, those periods of time? I found sometimes that if you set low expectations, all you can do is exceed them. <laughs> uh, you know, set the bar low, you'll jump right over it every day. No, I, I don't think that I have specific milestones in mind. The team is a thing. Obviously, either I have a team or I don't. That's going to be an easy metric to determine. But is anything that we've done, any advice I've given, just visibility, whatever it may be, has any of that moved that proverbial needle at all in any way? And in a firm of 100 attorneys, it's probably easier to wrap your arms around all of those things and determine what is success and and all and what has worked and what hasn't easier than in a larger firm, whether an AMLAW 1 or 200, for example, like we talked about before, because there's just so many people and it's such a, a larger scope. Whereas on scale here at 100, I can kind of feel, get a feel for if, if what we're saying is is sinking in and and being implemented. I, I had sent around... Um, a very basic BD tip type thing for you know for the end of August, and I said, listen, the, the last few weeks of the summer may seem like a great time to get the kids ready for school, do your final vacations before you know fall kicks in and such. But what have you done throughout the year at this point that you thought you wanted to do? Go back and see if you have any plans that you've already put in place and what you said you were going to do. And now that it's August, have you done that? Is there anybody who you wanted to reach out to and contact that you haven't reached out to yet? that now would be a great time to set up a call or a lunch for September because they're going to start to fill up their calendars too now that the fall is approaching and we're past Labor Day, for example. And the number of people that wrote back to me like, what a great idea. I'm like, really? This is, I hate the term table stakes. I hate the term low-hanging fruit, but those were table stakes and low-hanging fruit. It was like the most basic things I could do, but it resonated with them and they did it. And they're like, what a great idea. This is why we brought you here. I was like, okay, well now we know. But, you know, if, Anytime that I can see that light bulb go off, like we've talked about before, anytime we can see success, whether it's a dollar amount or a new client in the door, or if we grow geographically, headcount, whatever it may be, any type of forward movement and growth and all those things, and just keeping them happy because that's kind of what our job also is to some degree. And I'm learning that every day on the job now, three plus months in is what how do you become successful? How do you stay successful in this role? Once you reach the C-suite, do you stay there forever? No, I think we all know that. And I think after time, all of our voices get stale and you move on to the next opportunity. That's just the nature of the beast of legal marketing and business development, I think. And I made that joke recently and everyone's like, whoa, new guy just got in the door. He's already planning his next job. I'm like, no, no, that's not what's happening here. It's just, I realized there's a clock on me. And whether I'm successful or not, whether you continue to listen to me or not, are sometimes out of my control. But if we can move that needle and show success and show growth and all those types of things in whatever way we can do it, those are what I'm hoping to accomplish in 6, 12, 18 months. That's not the answer I was expecting, to be honest, but I, I, I think it's better than what I was expecting, which is I thought you were going to come back with some sort of solid this milestone of achievement, but actually your answer is, is way better because it's an all-round achievement as opposed to sort of individual moments that you're looking at. I think it's, I think it positions me for success as well. Yes. Which is, and everybody else and the whole team. Which is important. Yeah. But (laughs) I think, I think if position everybody for success, then we're all better off. Yeah. If you say, oh, we're going to grow our revenue by a million dollars. Is that realistic? I personally don't even know if that's realistic, but maybe it is. But is it fair to put that pressure on anybody? 
if really that's not what the expectation is from the firm? And I think that maybe my answer is more reflective of what the firm is hoping to achieve and what they're looking for and what they were hoping for when filling this position. So maybe it means we're on the same page. I'm sure if I went to any other firm, they might say, you, if you don't help us grow revenue by X number of millions of dollars, you're out. I'm sure that happens. That's not this yeah. firm. That's not my job right now. So it sounds like you're in the right place. I hope so. We'll find <laughs> out. Ask me again in six, 12 or 18 months. <laughs> now, we usually end the podcast with uh, this question that I'm going to ask you now, but I want there's another question I want to ask after it. So we're, we're going to do it slightly differently today, but... Uh, what is what is one piece of advice that you would give to uh, marketing or or and or BD leaders looking to integrate a, a culture of BD in a firm that previously has just been marketing based? Yeah, I, a lot of times the designation or the difference between marketing and BD is confusing to attorneys, to be honest. And I know that because it came up a lot during my interview process. One attorney, actually, I don't even know if it was an attorney, it might have been the CFO, was like, tell me the difference between marketing and BD. And apparently she told me this after the fact, she asked the same question to every other applicant that she had spoken to. And no one really gave an answer except for me. And when I gave an answer, didn't even have to be the right answer. Cause I'm not even sure there is a right answer. When I gave an answer, she was like, you're the guy. So the answer I gave was measurable metrics. And as the CFO, I mean, she's literally dealing with dollars and cents and she can see if anything's successful of, you know, how our bank accounts look for on any given day. And what I said is that you can measure, like I alluded to before, the the efforts of business development based upon I did I did X, Y was the result, and Z is the dollar amount we can associate with it. Whereas on the marketing side, you can say you went to a conference, you can say you sponsored a rubber chicken dinner, but did anything come of it? For the majority of us, we're not able to track those types of successes or the ROI because unless we do on intake, for example, hey, how'd you hear about us? Which you're not going to hear a lot of times at defense firms like ours. You don't know how that work came in. If they say, oh, I met a guy and he gave me your card, excuse me, or an introduction was made, or I saw your billboard. Now you're talking plaintiff's work almost. Then you're not able to associate your appearance at this conference led to this type of work. Sometimes you can't. We're not tracking it that way. And when I kind of differentiated the marketing and BD like that, they were then more on board. So if you can explain why BD is important, how there's actual revenue associated with it, you can literally tie an effort into a result. If you can properly explain them, but then also talk about what the firm across the street has done. Talk about successes you've heard from your colleagues in LMA or anywhere else of what they have done, how they've implemented, how they've done it at their other firm, because attorneys love to know what the firm across the street is doing, what their biggest competitor is doing, and why they are maybe more successful than them. Attorneys hate to change. They'll be the first to be second. You want a CRM? Oh, well, that they have a CRM. Oh, great. Then we'll get one also. So they don't want to be the first company to get a CRM, for example, but they'll be the first to be second because they saw someone else did it. And if you can talk about how other firms have implemented, how you have been successful at a prior job, for example, anything like that, that's the best way to sell the attorneys on why a sales type funnel or a BD function, we can literally associate it to revenue would be a reason to integrate in their firm. Pretty good advice. I think. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure that there'll be some people uh, listening to that, that that will really soak it in and and agree with you that that is actually a good way to do it and a good good piece of advice. 
So a couple of quick fire questions for you now, uh, Andrew. What is your favorite business and your favorite non-business book? I feel like I should probably have a favorite business book, but I, I don't really think I do. I feel like I read so much during the day that I, I haven't even thought about transitioning to business specific books. I know I've received a lot, you know, during my LMA tenure, whether sitting on the board or through conference speakers and keynotes and such. I know that um, the Jen Dulski book, Purposeful, was really meaningful to me back when I co-chaired the annual conference back in 2019. It was it was more of a professional development, personal, you know, be a better person themed type book. You know, Laura Gassner outing who was at the conference this past year in Florida with her Wonder Hell book and a couple others through her series. I gravitate towards those if we're talking business, because a lot of what I do, not just in my role with my team, but when I speak at LMA conferences and such is professional development based. Not necessarily like here's a best practice for CRM because that kind of falls outside my wheelhouse. Um, so I kind of focus on the PD type things. And so I think those types of books would really be what I would say is, is a, a business book. Non-business, I'm a real big fan of the um, uh, Gabriel Alone series that are written by Daniel Silva. Silva's been writing this, um, this series for, I don't know, probably 10 plus years about uh, unfortunately, a not real Israeli spy um, who kind of just like fixes the world. And I'm, I'm really minimizing the entire series and what it is that this character does. But there have been so many times, especially recently, if you watch the news, you're like, gee, I really wish Gabriel alone was real and he would just take care of this kind of stuff. <laughs> they're easy reads. They're beach reads. They come out every almost like June or July. I think Silva's popping one out every year. Uh, and it's, you know, bankable enough to say, like, OK, here's what I'm going to read on the beach this year. So those are those are my uh, favorite non business books good that they're uh, regularly being written as well so you can i know another exactly. one around the corner something to look forward to you could yeah. set your watch to it andrew this this question is sometimes a fun one because we get some interesting answers what was your first job oh so first job i i think um my uncle owned a water ice stand now, if you're not from the Philadelphia area, water ice is also commonly known everywhere else as Italian ice. Um, but here in, in the Philadelphia region, the South Jersey region, it's it's water ice because it's a little bit softer. Italian ice is like really like you have to scrape it with your spoon or, you know, uh, a little like wooden thing you'd get when you buy it at a store or whatever. Uh, but water ice you eat with a spoon and it comes with a bunch of different flavors as well. So he had owned like a window of a water ice stand at a strip mall somewhere in the suburbs. And for some reason, I don't know why he did it. That's not his career. He's a physical therapist. Um, but I, I know, uh, but he had a, a water ice stand. I guess he had some free space in his storefront. So we use it for that. And my sisters and I, we his were his first three employees. I think that was probably my, my first job. Yeah. Oh, is that, is, is it like shaved ice? Correct. Uh, okay. well, shaved ice is a little bit, you know, chunkier. Like it's actually like, if you, got crushed ice out of your fridge that's how i kind of view shaved ice this is even thinner than that yeah I see okay mm -hmm. interesting uh what is it that makes you happy at work i think when the attorneys recognize that what we're preaching works when they see the success or the light bulb go off in their head of oh that makes sense here's how i can do it here's how i can be successful based upon what you're suggesting that's a win for me 
because there's plenty of people who don't believe in this witchcraft it is that we do on a daily basis. So the ones that either buy into it and can then proselytize on our behalf to their friends or say, hey, here's what they recommended I did and I did it and it worked and here's how it could work for you. That is what brings me joy because, well, first of all, it it validates everything we do every day, but it also shows that we're having this really positive effect in a very niche environment against people that are trained to question everything. And when that happens and it works, that's a win. I, I had a slight concern when you paused after you said, um, I think it's when attorneys <laughs> and then you paused. <laughs> I didn't know where that was going to go, but I think it, it, it's a great answer because yeah, it's, as you said, it does validate everything that you're doing. So it, it, it's a great answer. Um, Andrew, what are you listening to at the moment? It could be podcast, uh, a music, an audiobook, book, um, anything along those lines. Yeah. So it's interesting because when I am at my, in the office, like I am today, so the office is based in North Jersey and I live in South Jersey. So it's about a 90 minute ride for me. And you would think that I would go deep into audiobooks or podcasts or something. And for some reason, I just haven't made that transition yet. I'm still just listening to the radio and I listen to, you know, uh, regional radio stations until I lose the signal somewhere around central Jersey. Then I just switch over to Sirius XM and jump around the, the dial that way. I should probably get into podcasts though. Maybe I listen to this one. I was going to say, <laughs> do you know of any? There's a prime <laughs> podcast you could listen right. to. <laughs> Tell me more. Where do I subscribe? Um, I know that you were at the beach last week uh, and perhaps this, that's your answer. And I've ruined this question, but what was your favorite place to visit and why? So it's unfair because we do go to the beach so frequently living in Jersey. There's there's a whole big ocean right next to us. So we're less than an hour from the beach and we do spend a lot of time there, especially during the summer. But I I really just like to get away and try new things. I had a uh, sheltered childhood in the sense where I never really went anywhere. Uh, my parents weren't huge travelers. They worked a lot. We, you know, we would go to friends' houses and we would go to, you know, people's homes who had uh, pools and such during the summer. I would visit my dad in California during the summer. So that was kind of like vacation for me and it's, you know, ex new experiences and such, but it wasn't like we went on big family trips to anywhere fancy. I do remember <laughs> one time my stepfather had a conference. He's like, Hey, we're all going to go. We're going to stay in a hotel. We're like, yeah, that's great. Where are we going? And he said, we're going to Harrisburg. <laughs> what? <laughs> Harrisburg. It's like that scene from Wayne's world where they're in front of a green scheme and they're like, we're in Delaware. It's like, oh yeah, Delaware. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. Just you haven't left the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So in comparison, my wife went on teen tours and such as a kid. So she's been like everywhere. She's like Carmen Sandiego. And I'm like the guy who just got my passport and my first stamp was Canada. You know, so I'm, I'm really trying to catch up. This past summer, we went to Iceland. That was amazing. Wow. I've been bugging her to get to Italy for years. We'll eventually get there. Um, there's just so many places I haven't been that I'd like to get to. Uh, that it's hard to say what's been my favorite because I don't know. I don't have a lot to base it off against unless you love the Jersey shore. And there you go. That's my favorite. I think, I think that's a pretty good answer that basically anywhere you go might be your favorite. That's true. <laughs> Wherever I am, that's my favorite yeah. place. Yeah. Perfect. And thank you for those quick questions. Now we spoke last week and I remember you mentioning, uh, this is why I wanted to ask another question after that one. Uh, that you are doing almost like a, a little speaking tour. So mm. you're speaking at a couple of the upcoming uh, regional LMA conferences. Could you tell us about those and, and where people will be able to find you on your your little tour? Sure. So pre-COVID, 
Uh, and almost before I joined the board, really, I did a lot of you know speaking circuit type work, like you were saying, uh, going to the regions to talk about professional development type uh, on, on professional development topics. A lot of times I was traveling with Jill Hughes, who is uh, one of the owners of Society 54. She's based on in Charlotte. Jill was the Southeast president when I was the Philly president back in 2014. So she and I go way back and we've been really good friends ever since and all those kind of things. So we would, you know, tour around and talk on different professional topics. And she said, you know, we should start doing it again. Now that COVID's over, we're back in person. All these regional conferences are happening. So we proposed a topic um, first for the Southwest Conference, which took place in New Orleans in September. And then we got chosen and Jill was like, oh no, I booked a family vacation. I think she was in Portugal. Um, so she was unable to go. So we swapped her out for Nikki Sherrill, went awesome. We had a great time. And it's a really professional development topic talking about how you can, and a lot of the regional conferences for some reason had a music musical theme to it. So I guess Nashville, New Orleans, they made sense. We leaned in hard on our session description talking about playing in concert with the other instruments of your firm and how you use all those kind of things to develop yourself and your personal brand to get to that next stage in your career. Because as you and I have discussed this in this short amount of time together, I think a lot of my network and my brand and all of my backup singers to lean in heavily on that musical theme helped me get to where I am. So we talk about that topic a lot. So we did that in New Orleans. That was in um, September. And then we have uh, Nashville for the Southeast Conference in November, and then also uh, New York. And I think that's the end of October uh, for the Northeast Conference. So we we talked the the panel kind of stays the same. So it's me, Jill Hughes, Michelle Friends, Nikki Sherrill, and uh, Chris Newman. We kind of swap out depending on who was available for, for which region and, and do those kind of things. I love speaking. I know how much my network has meant to me professionally and how other people have helped to lift me up. And my professional network through LMA, we lift each other up and pull each other up and stand on each other's shoulders to continue each other's successes to get to where we want to be. If you don't want to be a CMO, if you don't want to be in the C-suite, I get it. Let's help you get successful in where you are and where you want to be. Learn from our mistakes, share in our successes, all of those kind of things. And that's kind of just the gist of what we talk about. And anyone that's listening right now that has questions about a BD function in their firm or just how to develop their own brand and what's worked for me, what hasn't, because it might not work for someone else, all those kind of things, I'm happy to do it. And I loved being able to tour with Jill, you know, years ago to, to talk about professional development topics to different regions, because I feel like I have stories to tell and I'm a storyteller. And a lot of times, especially with our attorneys, they're responding better to stories than trainings or lesson plans and you know thick powerpoints they want to hear what has worked for somebody and maybe what hasn't hasn't and how they could kind of fit themselves into that storyline and make one for themselves right and tested it, it does work that's what they're looking for um yep. well i'll be seeing you uh i think in new orleans next week uh i think yep. which is the beginning of your lma speaking tour uh, and then i'll mm -hmm. probably be seeing you i think uh, up in new york as well so you'd probably be fed up of hearing my voice by that time especially after no such uh, thing no <laughs> such thing we'll see we'll see uh andrew it's been wonderful to uh, dig into your brain a little bit and, and get some info out and, and have you on the podcast to share this uh, experience that you're about to start uh, and that the the ways that you're about to do it so thank you so much for featuring thanks ed great to be here um, and I'll see you next week. You got it. Thanks very much. <laughs>